Hello, everyone. How are you? It's so great to see you all. You can't imagine how much we missed you and prayed for you and thought about you every single day. This is our home, no matter where we are. This is where we know God wants us to be. It was a challenging summer for us. Uh, as you know, when we started, we had intended to spend two weeks in Carmel, California. We'd rented a house, and after one week, we had to come back uh, and return to New Jersey because my uh, beloved mother-in-law uh, started to fail. Um, and it's amazing how the hand of God works. One of the things that we had always been a little bit concerned about was as my mother-in-law got older and she was uh, 90, uh, what would happen when she really started to fail? How would, how would God intervene with us in terms of, of our ministerial duties? Uh, she's up there, we're here. Uh, and that really was something that, that really was on our hearts. Uh, and my mother-in-law was a godly woman. God took care of her. And really, up, up, she was driving a car in January and February. Uh, and really, she just really started to fail in six weeks until the Lord called her home July 4th. Well, here's how God works. He waited till we got up there for the summer. Uh, he waited for my son to come up on a vacation uh, up there uh, with his wife. And then he called her home. All of us together in one place, already being there. It's as if he, he orchestrated the whole thing uh, and called her home on graduation day uh, so that we could be there and lift her up and be with her and affirm her and pray for her. And then uh, after she passed, Linda had to take care of all the issues relating to the house, you know, getting the house ready to be sold uh, because we were up there. Uh, it would have been so distracting and difficult. So you could see within the hand of God, even when you don't understand it, how he is orchestrating everything for those that love the Lord. Amen? I want to assure you that in every aspect of your life, he is there for you, even when you don't understand it. It was a blessing to see how my mother-in-law passed. Even, even the hospice people said to us they had never seen such a peaceful, a peaceful bless, uh, passing. So all of that was a, was a testimony to us, and it uplifted us. Um, and I want you to know that I, I, uh, I studied and wrote every day I was up there, including Sunday, at least three to four hours a day. I wrote and studied. Um, and so I've got a number of, of Bible studies written. One of the things that God laid on my heart that I'm going to do this year is I've written a series of studies on the prophecies of Daniel. And so what I'm going to do is periodically I'm going to intersperse when I, our, our teaching on the Gospel of John. I'm going to take a Sunday off periodically and I'm going to go into the prophecies of Daniel. You need to know the prophecies of Daniel. They're not taught often in church. Well, we're going to teach that there. And you know that one of the big prophecies of Daniel was the coming of Jesus Christ. Right down to the very month of the year 490 years in the future that Jesus would walk into Jerusalem. I'm going to show that to you. I'm going to prove it to you. And again, it's, it's an affirmation of the hand of God controlling everything, everything within the will of God. We are all sitting here uh, at, on a stage in which God is pulling the levers. I'm also pleased to tell you that we have been very blessed because you know that my son, 
has now been named the lead pastor at Downtown Harbor Church. Uh, and so we thank God. Yes. We're very blessed about that. And so uh, God is, is using him uh, in a powerful way uh, to preach and to bring people uh, to the Lord that really don't know anything about Jesus. It's a whole different environment, very different kind of population than we face over here. You know, in that county, in that three-county area outside of Fort Lauderdale, 87% are unchurched. 87%. Now, you can trace that to our area here, when I would say, if I looked at the statistics, it's probably uh, more like 30 or 40% here. But over there, it's a different kind of a, a world. Um, and also, that uh, Fort Lauderdale has the second highest per capita population of gays after San Francisco. And so he has gay people that are coming to church, that are hearing the word of God. And here's the thing, folks. It's like Zacchaeus. You want to change people? You got to get them out of the tree. You want to change people? You got to take them from the sidewalk and bring them inside the church. You're not changing anybody if you leave them outside. These are the people God has called us to embrace and bring in. Look, we don't endorse the sin. We don't endorse the lifestyle, but we endorse the humanity of the person under the will of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen on that, folks? So, yes, there's an, a, a number of good things taking place over there. Please pray for him. Pray for that church. Uh, God is using him and using them uh, mightily. Uh, and if you ever want to hear uh, what he's doing in his sermons, go on to our website, Garippa Foundation, and there's a link, and you can listen to his sermons. Uh, and as dutiful mothers and fathers, we listen every week, as you can imagine. Now, here's another piece of exciting news. You know that uh, in November, November 14th, I, I will kick off the Naples Men's Bible Study, as always. Um, and you know, when we kick that off, we, get up, we will get an attendance just about near 250 guys from every different pot church throughout Naples. Well, we have decided that this year we are going to live stream the Bible study. All right? Live stream. That means, ladies... You can listen. You can sit in. You can actually see if your husband's goofing off or not. All right? And so we're going to be live streaming that. And one of the reasons that I've decided to do that is I see the results of the, the uh, radio ministry as we're out throughout the whole country. I now get letters from states all over the United States, from people who are listening and are being touched. So God has laid it on my heart. That's the next step. We're going to live stream that. So you pray for that as well. And so we're going to continue today with the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 to 32. And we're going to focus today on the Roman trial that Jesus faced. Now, here's the deal. Jesus has already gone through the Jewish trial. And as you know that I taught that, they have trampled on the rights of Jesus in every possible way. If he was a typical Jewish citizen, he would have been accorded any number of rights and defenses that Jesus was not. First of all, uh, when they arrest him, they, they immediately have this sham trial in the middle of the night, probably somewhere around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that violated Jewish law. They weren't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be in daylight hours. Secondly, they were supposed to have two independent witnesses. 
They had no independent witnesses. They didn't have anything of the sort. The, the high priest was to act as an impartial way. Well, the high priest, in fact, as, acted as an adversarial prosecutor. So nothing was accorded Jesus the rights that he, were, he was entitled to. Now they leave that sham trial. Now they bring him to Pilate, the Roman procurator, and they intended that Pilate would merely rubber stamp what they did and they would execute Jesus. But we're going to read today about how Pilate didn't go along with that. And when you read the gospel accounts about Pilate, as it relates to Jesus, you will see that Pilate repeatedly tried to be fair with Jesus. He tried to accord Jesus' rights. And in fact, three separate times, Pilate is going to announce publicly that Jesus is an innocent man. And I'm going to focus today, as I show you that, to demonstrate at the same time that Pilate was not a good man. He was not a man that was interested in defending the rights of the people. In fact, he was a cruel, violent man. And yet something was going on during the trial of Jesus that was affecting him. And I'm going to talk to you about that. And I'm going to be I believe that what it was was the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand what that means. That means that in, as, as to unsaved people, the Holy Spirit works to convict them. And we're going to speak about that. And in fact, as you saw the, today, the story of Zacchaeus, and you see all of a sudden, Zacchaeus comes out of the tree without, in fact, having a colloquy with Jesus, without being told what he has to do, yet he comes down and immediately confesses, repents, and demonstrates that his heart has changed without Jesus saying a word. How does that happen? It happens because of the Holy Spirit. You understand? It was the Holy Spirit that had convicted him. And that is precisely what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm going to submit to you that this godless pagan, Pilate, was experiencing the impact of the Holy Spirit. And that when God does that, there is a window of opportunity. And all of us were at some point that same godless person outside of the will of God who were impacted by the Holy Spirit, and through that impact, we then consented and repented. Well, when you don't, the window closes. So let's take a look at John chapter 18, beginning at verse uh, 28, four verses we're going to read. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas, and that's the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. I want to focus on that for a moment. To avoid ceremonial uncleanness. They were so dutifully religious as they're about to murder the Son of God that under their religious standards, they did not want to be ceremonially unclean by walking into the palace of a Gentile. Do you see what happens when we elevate religion over God? Do you see what happens when we become idolaters of religion? Do you understand what I'm saying? Idolaters of religion, meaning we become so enticed with the rules and regulation of a religion or a denomination, 
that in fact we fail to see the Son of God passing by. And so here they were. They were so focused on their ceremonial cleanness, looking at the, at the Passover, that they were going to railroad Jesus Christ. It's just an astonishing passage to me as I read this. Uh, they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Yes, that was critical, eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Now, I will submit to you that Pilate knew full well what, what they were doing. Uh, and yet you see here, something is going on with Pilate. Something is going on with Pilate. They expect Pilate to just rubber stamp this. But Pilate now is being, I believe, impacted by the Holy Spirit, and he's being convicted. What charges are you bringing? Uh, verse 30, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. It's a sarcastic response, meaning, why are you asking us this? If we give you someone, you know he's, he's proven guilty uh, and he's a criminal. Uh, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Why? Because Pilate knew he was innocent. Pilate knew that whatever they were doing was their envy and jealousy of who Jesus was. It was a religious verdict. It had nothing to do with a civil violation at all. And they, they go on, but we have no right to execute anyone. And that's true because once Rome took over uh, Judea, there was no longer a right to execute a capital punishment. That meant that whatever verdict the Jews did, they would only be able to execute a capital verdict by having the Romans sign off on it. And so the only way they could do that was to have this, this hearing before Pilate. Uh, and then continuing on here, this happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the type of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. And so you understand, it says God is pulling the levers. Jesus is meant to be crucified. Uh, and that's from, from the Psalms. We know that prophecy, it's a thousand years before, uh, and it's all taking place. And so even as Jesus is, is being mistreated, as his rights are being violated, the hand of God is behind it. Uh, but there will be judgments for people who act inappropriately, who violate uh, the will of God. And I believe that there's plenty of blame to, to move around here. Yes, the Romans ultimately executed Jesus, but truthfully, it was the Jewish leaders who were instrumental in putting this together. Now, we talked about this. There were two separate trials, the Jewish trial and, and the, the Roman trial. Uh, the, the Jews did not have the right to impose the death penalty. That could only be executed by the Romans. And so the question now becomes, what kind of a person was Pilate. Well, as I've studied this, uh, one of the things that I learned is that Pilate was Spanish. He came out of Seville, Spain, uh, and uh, he joined up in the Roman legions as a young man, and he fought as a legionnaire in the Roman army in, in the Battle of Rhine in Germany, uh, and as a result, he began to rise up uh, in terms of power because of that. And then he made one very smart move. He married the granddaughter of the emperor. All right. 
he married the, the daughter of Augustus. Uh, and that was a good move. Her name was Claudia, and she was a powerful woman, had good connections. And so as a result of that marriage, he was appointed, effectively, the procurator of Judea. Now, he was not the first procurator of Judea. He was the sixth procurator. And the people who had been there uh, before he was empowered, had been pretty good rulers. They knew not to incite the Jews. They knew that the Jews did not want to see uh, big uh, banners of the emperor. They didn't want to see pictures of the emperor. Uh, and, and so they had wisely kept away from that kind of thing. But Pilate, uh, whose character was not good, violated that relationship. And so he became despised by the Jews. Uh, he, would, he would provoke them. He would do things that the others wouldn't do. Uh, and he, he, he was typically described uh, as stubborn, proud, corrupt, violent, and cruel. Pretty good. I would say he had all the good qualities that you would look for in a human being. He was a despicable man. But here's the thing. When you read the gospel accounts... The, the, the uh, gospel writers really had no reason to paint him in a flattering way. And yet when you see the gospel accounts, you see a man struggling to keep Jesus from being executed. You see him struggling to make him uh, be innocent. And, I, I, and we're going to study that because I believe there's a reason for that. And we're going to talk, talk about that. And so it becomes a mystery. The gospel writers had no reason to elevate and embrace the character of, of Pilate. So we must assume uh, that the writings of the gospel writers are accurate. And so Pilate is attempting every strategy that he knows in order to have Jesus acquitted. First, he reopens the case to the anger and anguish of the Jews. Let's understand something. They came there figuring, here's a piece of paper, just stamp it guilty, and we'll get this guy executed, and we can have our Passover. Not so quick. Not so quick. Pilate, Pilate doesn't do that. Uh, and so the Jewish leaders must have been astonished when they went there, and Pilate refused that in a hasty morning meeting not to have a quick confirmation of the verdict. But instead, he begins a formal hearing. And so what happened in the preceding eight or nine hours? Why had he changed his mind? Because most likely they had confirmed it with him earlier. Look, we're going to bring this guy in here. You just do this and we move on. What happened? Well, two things happened. Number one, his wife had a dream. And in her dream, uh, it was a nightmare. Uh, and she dreamed that Jesus was an innocent man uh, and, and a godly man, and now Pilate was going to be involved in the execution of a godly, holy, innocent man. And so she speaks to him and says to him, don't have anything to do with this guy. This is bad. I was, I, I was up. I had an, a dream. And I've said this before to you, and I'll repeat it now. If you are married to a godly woman and she gives you advice, you better take it. All right? Ladies, can I get an amen on that? All right? Let's understand something. 
your wife gives you advice and you're married to a godly woman, then you better listen to her. Because I can tell you, without a doubt, that every piece of advice that my wife has given to me uh, has been good advice, solid advice. And so you can see this. She don't have anything to do. I had a nightmare with this guy. He's innocent. This is going to be horrible. So that's weighing on him. And at the same time, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is affecting him. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, come on, John. The guy's a pagan. The guy's a loser. He's a bad guy. Oh, I get it. It's only the good people are the ones that come to Jesus. Is that it? Like you, like me. Only the good people, all right? Only the good people. God really doesn't convict the bad. Look, we were all sinners. You understand? There's no scorecard of sin. I love that when I, when I hear people talk about, you know, various sins, and they've, they construe a, a scorecard. You know what I mean, all right? A scorecard. Murder, 10 points right? Robbery, nine points. Homosexuality, 8.5 points. Stealing from the governor, government, that's a positive bonus position, <laughs> right? Oh, well, they, they just took my stuff illegally so I can steal, steal it back. You understand? God doesn't have a scorecard. We're all lost. You understand that? We're all lost. And so the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. And so I believe that this was an opportunity for Pilate to do the right thing. The wife had spoken to him. I believe his heart was opened, and now he's being convicted in the face of all this opposition who want Jesus crucified. And so you see this. Uh, and so he tries a series of subterfuges in order to save Jesus. Take a look at some of them. Let's look at John 18, uh, verse 38. This is where he's in verse 38. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. All right, then take a look at uh, 19, John chapter 19, verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. This is amazing, isn't it? Uh, then in verse 6, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw, saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Isn't this amazing? This is the guy who I described as, as being a horrible ruler, uh, violent, cruel, stubborn. What's going on? What is going on? And I want you to understand that you see how evil, even evil people, people lost, are being convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not for you to say who you speak to about Jesus Christ. All right? It's not for you to decide, yeah, he's worthy to hear it. No, 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 this one's not worthy. This one's not worthy. This one's too far gone. God expects us to speak to the lost, to convey the message of Jesus Christ. We don't save anybody. Jesus saves. Our job is to be the messenger. And so we want to, you want to understand that. And so even as, as this goes on, He's trying to find a way that he does not have to decide the fate of Jesus. Take a look at Luke 23. 
And the thing about this is you have to go through various uh, gospel accounts in order to get the full story. It's not in one simple passage. Luke 23, verse 6. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. Talking about Jesus. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. Now you see how some people are. He wasn't interested in, in seeing the saving power of Christ. He was interested in some parlor trick. Uh, he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. So you see, you see this aspect of this. And so then, then uh, uh, Pilate decides, well, you know what? I'm going to scourge Jesus. Because then if I scourge him, and that's through multiple whippings, that they will take pity on him when they see him in that condition. Uh, look in uh, John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, uh, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Uh, and that became the famous saying, ecce homo, ecce homo in Latin, meaning behold the man. Uh, and, and so he was hoping, hoping they're going to see this guy broken and beaten and scourged and ble uh, bleeding. Certainly their hearts will be touched. Their hearts will be touched. And I won't have to give a pronouncement of execution. And yet, no, no, nothing, would, nothing like that took place. Uh, and so, as I spoke to you before about his wife's dream, turn to Matthew 27, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Imagine that. I've suffered because I've dreamt he's innocent. Uh, don't do this. And so to Pilate, his wife's warning would have been quite serious. Uh, Roman people took dreams very seriously, very seriously. They believed that they were uh, supernatural and the gods, they believed in multiple gods. And so they believed in that. And so clearly uh, she stiffened in Pilate the instinct for uh, justice, for Roman justice. Uh, at whatever cost. And so I want you to see this juxtaposition. On one side, it's the Jewish leaders. Crucify him, crucify him. You get rid of him, kill him. On the other side is Pilate, I believe, being pricked by the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit, warned by his wife, don't have anything to do with this. Um, and, and so he wants to release him. He wants to let him go. He knows he's not guilty, but yet he's concerned about the Jewish leaders, about his standing in the community. So it's clearly this. 
Where am I going to stand in the community, or what do I do with Jesus? And folks, that's the dilemma that a lot of us have today. You understand? We're more concerned with our standing amongst our peers. What will happen if people see me becoming a Christian? What will I give up if I become a Christian? This is why a lot of people in the world do not make the step to become Christians, because they are worried about their standing in the world. What will they lose if they embrace Jesus Christ? Uh, and so you see this here in this example. And here's the thing. You cannot be neutral to Jesus. You cannot be neutral to Jesus. And here's my explanation for that. <clears throat> and somebody might be saying to me, well, John, why can't we have a, a reasonable philosophical dialogue? Can't we each see each other's position? Why do you take this hard and fast rule about Jesus. Can't we, can't we respect Jesus? Can't we say Jesus was a good man? He was a great prophet. He did a lot of things. We just don't believe he was God. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. If that's your position, then you are totally adverse to Jesus. Okay? It's a very different position than any other philosophical discussion we could have. We could have philosophical discussions about any number of religious ideas, and there's room for differences of opinion or, or religious philosophies. But when it comes to Christ, there is no room. You either accept him or you reject him. There's no neutrality, because if you think you're neutral, you are against him. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Uh, and so here's the point. Whatever Pilate did, however he tried to take care of Jesus, uh, he failed miserably, absolutely failed miserably. Uh, and there's this passage where as he, as he uh, goes to the crowd at the end, he, he tries to have them take Barabbas. And he, con and he concocts this opportunity. He gives them a choice. Turn, if you would, to Matthew uh, 27, verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now, imagine this. He takes this absolutely disreputable, uh, zealot, revolutionary criminal, a disgusting person, Barabbas, and he brings him out and he puts Jesus next to them and he says, you can have your choice. I'll release whatever one you choose. Now, he never dreamed that they would say, uh, uh, release Barabbas. They never thought that that would be the case. But instead, that's exactly what they say. And if you follow along, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus ex executed. And so when he asked them, which, who do you want 
Release, they go, Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They answered him, crucify him. Why? This is verse 23. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And I say to Pilate, wrong. No, you're not innocent of the blood of Jesus. You don't sit there and ceremonially wash your hands when you are the leader, the procurator of Judea, and say, I have nothing to do with this man's death. You have a lot to do with this man's death, as do the Jewish people having a lot. It doesn't fall on one person, as, ha as also the Roman soldiers. There's guilt to go around all the way. Now, I, let's understand something. Jesus was destined to die on the cross. But Pilate didn't have to be the person that executed him. Judas didn't have to be the person that denied him. God could have created this situation anyway with other characters. Uh, and one of the horrible things here uh, is, is that in verse 25, the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Oh, dear God. Oh, what a terrible thing to say. What a terrible thing to say. And only God knows what the import of those words are. I can't say it. But that is a terrible thing to say when you're dealing about the Son of God, even though we understand Jesus had to die on the cross. Uh, and so this is important for us to know. And so I wanted to speak to you a bit uh, about the import of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and why I believe that was going on even, even with this evil, despicable man. Uh, and because God tries to save everybody. Look at John 16, if you would. John 16, <clears throat> Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you, and that's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world of guilt as a result of sin. I want you to understand something. Jesus doesn't say sins, multiple. He says sin, singular, institutional sin, meaning the institutional sin of humanity that we all have, every single one of us who has not given ourselves to Christ. Convict us of sin being outside the will of God. Why? Because men do not believe in me. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. There it is. Satan is the prince of this world. He is standing condemned. And when we do not accept Jesus, we immediately follow ourselves in the army of Satan. That's it. Oh, I know some people are saying, it's a little harsh, John. It's a little harsh. I'm a good man. I'm a good man. I'm a good husband. 
maybe I just don't agree completely with you in this regard. Uh, I still think Jesus is a good person. I see, and, and I, this is what I hear. I hear this from, from a lot of people, but you don't understand. When it comes to Jesus, it's black and white. There's no gray. There's no midpoint. There's no neutrality, and you see it here. And so here you have this guy doing everything he can but standing on his head to find a way to release Jesus. And yet he doesn't release Jesus. He gives him over to the crowd. And so you see what happens. And so what happens here is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, strives for a while, strives with man, strives with the unbeliever to bring us to the attention of God, to bring us to the attention of understanding we need a Savior. Every one of us had come to that decision. Every one of us had come to the decision where the Holy Spirit pricked us and let us know we needed a Savior, and we had a bow to God. And I'm convinced that this was going on with Pilate, that God was working, pricking his attention, his wife had written. I'm sure his wife was also under the same situation. Now, there's no secondhand secular evidence that his wife or he ever accepted Christianity. I would like to be able to tell you that uh, later on he did. We find no, no evidence of that, although we know that there are plenty of situations in the Bible, including one involving the centurion at the cross who became a Christian because of seeing Jesus. So we know this. We understand the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and elevate and affirm us. We understand this, but I want you to understand this. So Jesus is saying that that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is about. And so this, to me, is so poignant because I want you to recognize that even Evil men at some point are going to suffer the conviction of the Holy Spirit unless they are so closed down, so dark, that they will never get any light into them. But God looks to find a way to bring people to repentance. I want you to remember this. And I believe this was going on with Pilate. And so I would say to you today that even if you have friends or family or acquaintances that you think are absolutely lost, that there's no hope that God still has some way of reaching them. Your job is not to pronounce judgment. Your job isn't to say, ah, you're going to hell. I'm not involved with you. You're lost. Your job is to somehow find a way to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look, and I'll tie this into the message that you heard today with regard to Zacchaeus. Here's a guy who is despicable. He's a thief of the first order. He has stolen from everybody. And yet there he is up in a tree. He never had a conversation before with Jesus. Nobody gave him the New Testament. By the way, there was no New Testament. You understand? I'm kidding you. But nobody gave him a tract. Hey, Zacchaeus, take a look at this. Take a look at this. Take a look at John 3.16. Nobody said a word to this guy. All right? But Jesus is passing by, and he heard about Jesus, and he knows the kind of life that he lived. And so there he is up in the tree looking at Jesus, what? To see who Jesus was. And Jesus, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knowing that there was someone who desperately needed to hear him, all Jesus said is, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you loser, you thief, you sinner, you bum. 
I can't stand even looking at you. He didn't say that. He didn't pronounce judgment. That's one of the things you see about the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never hear him say things like that. Instead, he says, I'm coming to your house today. He says his name, and I'm coming to your house today. And what I'm telling you happens instantaneously is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. There's that guy, and all of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus knows my name. He knows who I am. He sees my heart. He sees my sin. He sees my past, and the Holy Spirit pours over him. And guess what? Lord, forgive me. Half of my goods I give away. And if I've defrauded anybody four times, look, that's what our role is as Christians. Jesus doesn't walk the world anymore, but the Holy Spirit does. And so I want to impress this upon you today. I want you to leave here today not thinking that there's certain people that are lost beyond hope that they can't be saved, that it's too late. I'm convinced that Pilate was being worked on by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about that today. Even though he didn't, he didn't ultimately step through the window, he didn't ultimately do what he should have done. He succumbed and, and went to the dark side. But our job, our job is to deliver the message of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words today that have inspired us and touched our heart. Father, I ask you that they grow this week, that we contemplate them and grow closer to you in every possible way. Lord, protect our dear people. Bless them this week and bring them back safely to continue this study next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.